Hello, 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 and welcome to the bonus part of today's FYI. I hope you guys are enjoying this party as we party into the wee hours. Today we're going to look at some crazy stuff that I lived through and I survived, believe it or not. In fact, I remember the first time I went to the limelight, as I said in the, the bonus part, the in the other part of the show, the, the limelight was like the our Studio 54 of of my generation. And I remember uh, meeting my mom for breakfast one day, and she said, well, what did you do last night? And I had barely slept, apenas dormi. And I said, oh, yeah, I went to the limelight last night. And she said, what? You went to the limelight? Are you serious? That place is full of drugs and drag queens and... And I said, how did you know? And she goes, it's on TV. And I said, oh boy. I said, so everybody knows what's going on. And you know what? When I realized that, I said, the end is near. If my mom knows what's happening at the limelight, I think the end is near. And it was true. Not long after I started going to clubs, uh, that's when that downfall, that decline happened. So I was there. I was there uh, on the crest of the wave. And, and I knew it. I knew it was. I said, how can this be allowed? ¿Cómo pueden dejar esto uh, que pase? You know, how can this be permitted? And... Uh, the club I, I think of the most is the one I, I was just mentioning called The Limelight, which was a club that opened in 1983. That's right. It was a church, an Episcopal church. It was called the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. And it was sick. Now, sick es enfermo, pero también sick es muy, muy chulo en jerga. It was sick. This place was just Amazing. Just imagine you're waiting online, estás esperando en la cola to get into a club, and you're seeing this gothic church in front of you with a drag queen as the bouncer. I still remember the the bouncer. His name was Kenny Ken, and he was this huge, like really tall, burly, la palabra que vimos antes, bouncer who was at the door, and he almost, he looked a bit like Courtney Love. I don't know if you know Kurt Cobain's ex-wife, Courtney Love. So it was just incredible. I just remember thinking, is this legal? I mean, is this sacrilegious? We were partying in a church. Well, don't worry. Uh, The church was deconsecrated Uh, in the early 70s. They they deconsecrated the church and, uh, and they turned it into a drug rehabilitation program at first. It wasn't a club right away. Then, well, these people had some financial hardships. Uh, financial hardships, dificultades financieras, right? They didn't have enough money, and uh, they ended up selling it to a guy named Peter Gation. Now, I want you to remember this name because we're going to look at Peter Gation He was the king of clubland. He was public enemy number one, according to Rudolph Giuliani, the mayor. So the irony was that this 
church turned drug rehabilitation center turned club was a place where they ended up selling drugs. So, wow. And I remember just thinking that, you know, I remember being at the club and and dancing and it was six o'clock in the morning or 6 a.m. And I remember the sun coming in through the stained glass windows. The stained glass windows are the, the windows that you normally see in a church. And I remember thinking, you know, I'm not a religious guy. But I remember thinking, this is not right. Something's not right here. And it's true. The limelight was hedonism at its best. I mean, there were hidden rooms. There were orgies happening. There was blatant drug use. I mean, I remember walking down the stairs and being offered everything. K, K es como si te ketamina, uh, X is ecstasy and I said what is this it was out of control and what I what I couldn't understand is that there was a police car out front but the police weren't doing anything and as many expected uh, those police were being paid off to pay somebody off is sobornar you know you give them money to be quiet you bribe them otra forma de decir sobornar but sure that was all well and good they could bribe the police they could bribe maybe local officials but it's a lot harder to bribe the FBI. And, well, the FBI finally got their hands on the limelight and closed it down. But that that was just the tip of the iceberg because this guy I told you before, Peter Gation, he was the king of clubland. He owned the, li- the limelight, he owned the palladium, and the tunnel. And these were three of the most famous mega clubs ever. I was going to say at the time, but even to this day, people still talk about the limelight because it was a crazy place. In fact, if you've seen the movie Party Monster starring Macaulay Culkin, it tells you some of the stories of what was happening at the limelight. And there was death. When I say death, I mean murder. Uh, a drug dealer was murdered by one of the club kids, and uh, this obviously was uh, made national news and international news, I believe, as well. So uh, there was a point where everything spun out of control. And as I said, the limelight was Studio 54 of our generation. And finally, it was closed down um, during the 1990s. Now, they had a couple different attempts to close it down. It wasn't that easy. But finally, they closed down the limelight. And I remember that was the first club I ever went to was the limelight. So you can imagine, little Alberto there, little 18, 19-year-old Alberto, you know, hanging out, partying, and thinking, wow, what an amazing experience. And of course, if the first club you go to is the most extravagant club in New York City and possibly the world, well, then the bar is set very high. Uh, The bar is el listón en este caso. To raise the bar, subir el listón. And that's what Peter Gation did with his super mega clubs. I mean, okay, putting the drug use and the, the sex and orgies and all that stuff aside, these were 
amazing places. The decor, the DJ, the people that were walking around. As I said, you felt like you left New York City and went to another planet. And you can still see the church. The church is still there. Now, obviously, it's not the limelight anymore. I remember after they opened up a club called Avalon, but it just wasn't the same. Uh, The whole idea behind limelight was that that attitude that you can do whatever you want here kind of attitude. And uh, Avalon didn't really work out. Uh, Then they turned it into a mall to turn into Esconvertir in. And uh, I don't think I went in that mall. I I, I think I was just, I didn't want to see the limelight as a big, you know, mall. It just, I wanted to remember it the way it was, as this dark, dingy place where anything goes. Now, I have to say, I I didn't partake in the drug use very much. I, I, I... Let's put it this way. I tried a few things, but uh, I knew that that wasn't for me. I knew that I didn't want to end up like a lot of these people who took it too far. Lo llevaron a un extremo. You saw at the end uh, of the this this stage, esta etapa, you were seeing a lot of zombies, mucho zombie por ahí. So uh, this is when, you know, this drug use got out of hand. And not just the drug use. I think everything got out of hand. Se nos fue. De las manos. And uh, so, yeah, the the Limelight Mall. No thanks. And then uh, I guess the mall didn't work out. And then they opened up a gym as well. But uh, I'll always remember that church on 6th Avenue as the Limelight. In my head, it'll always be the limelight. And Peter Gation was probably just as interesting as his clubs because he didn't only own the top three clubs in New York City, but the guy was like a public figure. I still remember him, you know, in magazines and on magazine covers and and he uh, he had an eye patch, un parche. So he even looked like this like evil guy who was like, you know, pulling the strings behind the scenes. Again, you can find tons of documents on Peter Gation, on the limelight, on the tunnel, which is our next one we're going to talk about, the tunnel. Now, uh, the tunnel was big because it established Chelsea, the neighborhood of Chelsea, as the party capital of New York City. That neighborhood, Chelsea, which is uh, known as a homosexual or bisexual neighborhood, was kind of the heart of club land. What does that mean? That means the coolest, trendiest clubs were all in Chelsea. And do you know who lived in Chelsea? Yours truly, un servidor. So this started these mega clubs in Chelsea, and it was a uh, this old building. It was a railroad building. It looked like a, a big warehouse, un gran almacén. And Peter Gation turned it into this mega club where you could see so many different worlds. Like you went from one dance floor to another dance floor. I remember there was a room that had furry walls, peludos. Um, It was just an experience. You know, even if you weren't into the music, just the visual experience was out of this world. And I think everybody who went there looked extravagant. Uh, It didn't matter who you were. But guess what? Giuliani was not happy about that. As I said, he wasn't only going after clubs, but he also was going after Peter Gation. He made it very clear. He said, I'm going to close all these places down and I'm going to deport you. And guess what? He did. 
Peter Gation was deported back to Canada, where he was born, in 2003. So imagine that. This guy, he didn't kill anyone. He didn't, okay, maybe murders took place at his clubs and things like this, but it was, he was such a figure, uh, such a scapegoat, Cabeza de Turco, that Giuliani wanted to make an example. And he said, I'm not only going to close down your clubs and, you know, take away any money that you're earning right now, but I'm also going to deport you. You're going back to Canada, buddy. Sorry. And, uh, and it worked. I mean, all these clubs closed down one by one. They started to close down. And I, I know, you know, I still get a, a sense of nostalgia when I'm driving down the West Side Highway. The West Side Highway is in New York City. And I see the building that, that used to be the tunnel, and it brings back such memories of, of a time when <laughs> hedonism was huge and, uh, and people could do whatever they wanted, it seemed. Another club that Peter Gation owned was the Palladium. Now, the Palladium is another place that we could use that expression if these walls could talk. And uh, the Academy of Music, it was originally called the Venue. A venue is a place where you have concerts or different events venue and it opened as a movie palace and uh well it became a, a music venue after that and this was a famous place before it was a club because uh numerous concerts took place there such as the rolling stones yeah their first american tour well guess where they went the Palladium. Uh, also, British heavy metal. It was a, a huge place to catch British heavy metal acts such as uh, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, uh, Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, these were all groups that played at the Palladium in the 1980s. But then in 1985, the Palladium was converted or turned into a nightclub by two guys. I'll tell you their names. Steve Rubell and Ian Schrager. Do those names ring a bell? Were you listening when I said who the owners of Studio 54 were? Yeah, same guys. They saw the potential. They said, wait, this is a, this space is amazing. We can do something really cool here. Not that the rock concerts and all that wasn't cool, but, you know, there was a huge trend to building clubs. I mean, clubs were the thing in the 80s, the mid-80s to the, the mid-90s, as I said. That was the heyday, el apogeo. So after their success with Studio 54, they decided to turn the Palladium into one of the most amazing clubs in New York. And can I be honest with you? The limelight was great. It was a church. The tunnel was awesome. But the Palladium was just extravagant. I remember the walls would light up. There was a grand staircase when you came in the door. You felt like a celebrity. The moment you walked in the door, you felt special. And it was uh, designed by a Japanese architect named Arata Isosaki. He redesigned the interior of the club, and uh, then Peter Gation came in in 1992, and he owned the club from 1992 to 1997. So there was a period there where if you were partying in New York City, 
you were probably at one of Peter Gation's clubs. And he knew what he was doing. I mean, the clubs were opulent. They were out of this world. But he also was a genius as far as marketing is concerned. And this is what he did. He contacted these trendsetters, estos marca tendencias, these club kids as they were called, and he invited them to their clubs. And he said, listen, I'll pay you guys to bring people to my club. And there the promoter was born. And that was a very popular, I remember uh, a lot of my friends in college, oh, I promote parties at this club. I'm promoting this club. And I think, you know, Peter Gation was kind of the, the guy who said, wait, if I can get 10 really like popular people, cool people, trendsetters, as I said before, well, then most of New York will just follow them and come into these clubs. And it worked. Uh, these club kids, uh, as I said, uh, the most famous one is Michael Alleg. I shouldn't say famous. I should say infamous. And Michael Alleg was played by Macaulay Culkin in the movie Party Monster. And uh, you can check it out. Again, it'll give you the, the story. It gives you kind of a cleaner version of the story, I would say. But, uh, well, Hollywood, let's, let's say this, a Hollywood version. So these club kids would bring people into these clubs, and before they knew it, they had lines out, the, out around the block, a la vuelta a la esquina. And so they could be selective. And that's where we talked about before, you know, how hard it was to get into a club. Now, my trick to getting into a club is, of course, I always dressed up. So I remember I had leather pants. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Con pantalones de cuero. I had these crazy colored shirts. Um, I never cross-dressed. I think uh, one time, I think I remember a friend of mine, um, she put eyeliner around my eyes. Uh, so yeah, maybe once I even wore makeup. It, it was, again, I was the most normal looking guy there. <laughs> but I remember my trick was always go with beautiful women. So I, I said, if I'm surrounded by lovely, beautiful women, uh, it will increase my chances. It will increase my odds of getting into the club. And as I said, I don't remember many times that I was shot down. To be shot down is uh, another way to say rejected, right? Uh, I, I remember getting in almost every time. So there was a whole, you know, a whole philosophy. You had, you had to prepare for it. And they also, you know, if you had, they, they weren't just looking at your clothes. Um, they were looking at your attitude too, because if you showed up at the door and you looked angry or maybe overly intoxicated, you weren't going to get in. They were looking for people who were smiling, who were excited, who were ready to party. So for one moment in history, uh, the most powerful people in New York were the bouncers, the doormen. Uh, another way to say bouncer is a doorman. And I remember these people, I mean, they were turning people away left and right. They were like, are you on the list? No, bye-bye, see you later, sorry. Uh, sometimes they wouldn't even give you an explanation. They're like, nope. And you're like, but uh, nope, get out, leave, go. And uh, it was crazy. It was crazy because I remember sometimes being nervous until I got in the door. And then the interesting part is, even if you were on a list, you, you know, sometimes you would get in for free, but uh, or sometimes maybe you would get some comps. Uh, what is a comp? Uh, comp is a complimentary drink ticket. So comps, when when somebody says, "Can we have some comps?" 
It means something free. It's normalmente un ticket para entrar gratis o para tomar bebidas gratis. And so if you were on a list, maybe you would get a little discount. Uh, maybe you would get, you know, uh, some comps, some drink tickets or something like that. But you still had to pay in many cases. And I remember the limelight, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was like 20 or 30 dollars to get in the door, and that's if they let you in the door, and that didn't include any drinks. So people were paying top dollar. Uh, to pay top dollar is pagar mucho dinero. They were paying top dollar to get into these clubs and just, you know, be a part of what was happening. And of course, uh, as the word spread, these clubs got more and more popular. Of course, until they came to the attention of people like my mother. As I said, once my mom knew what was happening in these clubs, I knew that that was the beginning of the end. I knew that uh, it was a phase. And, I, and you know what? You have a feeling sometimes. You know, you're saying, wow, this is just, this can't get any crazier. So, I mean, there's only one way it can go. And that's down. And, of course, uh, that was, as I said, the, the mid-90s. That's when a lot of people said that, uh, well, club New York nightlife, Vida Nocturna, kind of ended there as, as far as New York nightlife as we know it. Now, many people will argue these days that it's not true that a lot of these mega clubs have uh, moved out of New York City, or out of Manhattan at least, uh, well, to escape scrutiny, right? I guess if you're in New York City, they are watching you like a hawk. La expresión que vimos eh, que significa vigilar de cerca. And also now with social media, I mean, anybody can find out about it. I remember back then, you know, if you found out about a party, it was because you had a friend who told you, or a friend of a friend, or an acquaintance, un conocido. I remember, uh, you know, they would spread the word, difundir la palabra, with flyers. And even the flyers had an artistic element to it. There was something artistic, there was something cultural about it. But again, once you mix drugs and illegal activity in there, well... Uh, it takes away the beauty of it, in my opinion, at least. And some people say that club life will never be the same. You know, nightlife in New York City will never be the same. But do you want to know something? They've been saying that since day one. They said that when Studio 54 closed. They said that when the limelight closed. And you know what? People are gonna party. People have a need to party. They have a need to go out, to unwind, to dance, to meet people, to express themselves to get ideas, and to mingle with some of the most influential people in the world. And these were things that you could do at a New York City club. Now, I have to say, these days, I'm, uh, I'm out of my element. As I said earlier in the episode, I don't remember the last time I went to a club. Well, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was in Ibiza. I think that was the last time I was at a club. And even that felt like very commercial, very corporate. And it's true, a lot of these clubs now, even the mega clubs that you find out there, are usually run by or sponsored by corporations which kind of takes the fun out of it. I mean, half of the fun of Limelight and the Tunnel was that clandestine feeling, that feeling that you were doing something that you shouldn't be doing, that you were underground, that you weren't in the mainstream. 
Now, even though my club days are long gone, I will still cherish all those memories, all those nights dancing to some of the most amazing DJs. I mean, for one minute, you felt like Mick Jagger. You felt like one of those people. You felt like you were somebody. And if that is what a club can do to you, well, I'm all for it. I'm all for it means lo apoyo. And now when people ask me, hey, Alberto, I'm going to New York. What club should I go to? <laughs> you know what you hear? That's right. I have no idea. But I highly recommend if you guys go to New York and you're looking for some nightlife, I always recommend the same thing. Time Out New York. You can go to their website or if they're still doing their magazine. And I remember it used to give you a breakdown, un desglose, of all the clubs, of what was happening, what kind of crowd, que tipo de público. And it's really up to the minute. Up to the minute actualizado hasta el minuto. So uh, don't ask a dinosaur like me. I can only tell you about the glory days, the heyday, as I did on today's episode of F. Why I...